essence, what our Christian faith is built upon. Jesus in the midst. It's also the major theme of this book that we study. The major theme of the Bible is again, Jesus in the midst. Friends, Jesus is eternal from the very beginning to the very end of time. He always has been in the midst, amen? And he has always been in the midst of everything that God is. At creation, when there was no more than a mist, Jesus was in the midst. At very creation, Jesus was there. Colossians 1.16, the scriptures tell us that for by him... By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him. All things were created for him. Jesus was in the midst. In Exodus chapter 8 verse 22, the scriptures tell us that God said that the ten plagues that were sent upon Egypt were sent so that they would know that the Lord God was in the midst of the land. Jeremiah exclaimed in Jeremiah 14.9, You, O Lord, are in the midst of your people. You are in the midst of us. You remember the story about Daniel in, uh, in the very beginning there. The Son of God was there in the midst of the fiery furnace when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were down there. Jesus was in the midst. As a baby, Jesus was in the midst He was in the midst of shepherds, in the midst of wise men. As a little boy, the Lord Jesus was in the midst, in the midst of the religious leaders in the temple. And can I tell you that God as the Holy Spirit, Jesus is in the midst of us today. Jesus is in our midst. The Bible says that for where two or three are gathered together in my name, Jesus says, there I am in the Midst of them, that's right. At Calvary, the Lord Jesus was in the midst of sinners and they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the midst, that's right. As a lamb, the Lamb of God in Revelation, Jesus is in the midst of the throne of God. As our resurrected Lord, Jesus is in the midst of our churches, and on the evening of that first Easter Sunday, Jesus stood in the midst, stood in the midst of his disciples. And in John 20, verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Why is this theme, why is this idea repeated so often? Could it be because Jesus being in our midst is the key to a joyful Christian life? Could it be that Jesus being in our midst is the key to the unity of the church? Could it be that Jesus being in our midst is the key to you having an effective witness? Can I tell you? Yes, on all accounts. So friends, as we meet together this morning, as we meet together, our deepest desire ought to be that Jesus be in our midst. As you live your life day to day, your deepest desire ought to be that Jesus be in your midst. 
that Jesus be present in your life? Did you know that you can have Jesus in your midst? Did you know that as you walk through the storms of life, Jesus can be in your midst? He can be with you. But friends, there are some people who have no room for Jesus. There are others who have some room for Jesus. But can I tell you this morning that Jesus wants every room. He wants all of you. He wants to be in the midst. Now that word midst, that comes from the word middle. Why is that? The, the reason is, is because Jesus ought to be the very center of everything that you are. He ought to be the very center of your lives. He should be connecting every area of your life. He should be in the midst of your work life. He should be in the midst of your hobbies. He should be in the midst of your leisure time. He should be in the midst of your family. He should be in the midst of your ministry. He should be in the midst of your relationships. He should be in the midst of everything regarding the Christian. He wants to be in the midst. He wants to be the very center of who you are. Why? Because there ain't a Christian alive who can be spiritual. There ain't a Christian alive who can be powerful. There's not one alive who can be growing unless Jesus is in the midst. He's got to be in the midst of every area of your life. And today, the John, the Apostle John the uh, one that Jesus said that he loved, the, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved tells us some of the benefits of Jesus being in our midst. You pay special attention this morning, okay? Because Jesus wants to be the hub of your life. He wants to be the very center of who you are. He wants to be in the middle. He wants to be in the midst of your life. So if you'll turn with me to John chapter 20. Just four short verses this morning, and I pray that these are going to bless you because they sure have blessed me all week. Amen. John chapter 20, verse 19. Then the same day, the same day as what? The same day as he rose from the grave. The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, that Sunday, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the... I can't hear y'all. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, Savior, God, we invite you into our midst this morning and pray you would teach us to have you in the midst of our lives every day. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Some benefits of having Jesus in your midst, friends. Jesus in our midst makes us peaceful. Did you hear it there in verse 19? On the same day that evening, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled in fear 
They were scared. They were going through a storm, amen. And the, for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came. Hallelujah. Jesus came when they were fearful. Jesus came when they were scared. Jesus came when they were scared because of the storms of life. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, Peace. Peace be with you. When Jesus is in our midst, it ought to make us peaceful. One of my favorite chapters in all the Bible is Philippians chapter 4. Why? Because it tells me why I shouldn't be scared. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's so comforting to me. That word passes, and the peace of God which passes all understanding is short for the word surpasses. It's short for surpasses. In other words, God's peace goes far beyond what we can handle. God's peace goes far beyond our storms. God's peace goes far beyond our problems. Do you want to know the truth about God's peace? If you want to know the truth about God's peace, say amen. You can't handle the truth. Amen. You can't handle the truth. Have you ever considered what a great blessing it is when from time to time our storms and our problems pile up so doggone high that we can't possibly solve them? That's a blessing. That's a blessing when you can't handle your problems. That's a blessing when you can't handle your storms. That's a blessing when you can't handle the trials in your life. Now, I don't get all happy and stuff when I have problems. Please don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is, is that we should be glad when things come upon us that are more than we can handle. Why? Why should we be glad when things come on us that are more than we can handle? Because it's then and only then that we finally realize that we can't handle it all. It's then and only then that we finally realize that we can't handle everything that comes our way. It's then and only then that we finally realize that we're taking the first step to overcoming worry and bringing peace into our lives. We ought to be glad when those problems pile up and we can't handle them. Because then we begin to realize there's only one who can. And his name is Jesus Christ. See, most of us, whether Christians or not, most of us assume far more responsibility for the future than God ever intended. He didn't intend you to handle it all yourself. He intended you to let him handle a large majority of it. He'll handle it through you, but he wants to handle the struggles and the trials in your life. And the Lord Jesus gave us some sound advice on this topic. He said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the future, he said. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have enough worry of its own. Sufficient is today for its own trouble. Why worry so much about tomorrow? You need to let God handle tomorrow and you handle today. John 14, 27, the Lord Jesus says again, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace, say my peace. My peace, Jesus said. Not human peace, godly peace. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. Don't be troubled by the storms. Don't be scared of the tornadoes. Don't be scared of the future. I got it. 
Jesus says. And my peace I'll give to you as long as you'll give it to me. As long as you'll give it to me. So why shouldn't we be afraid? Because Jesus is in our midst. And when Jesus is in our midst, that ought to make us peaceful. Now there's a second benefit. A second benefit to Jesus being in our midst, and that is that Jesus in our midst ought to make us joyful. It ought to make us joyful. Look there in verse 20. When Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad. Hallelujah. They were glad. They were joyful when they saw the Lord. When you see the Lord show up in your storms, when you see the Lord show up in your difficulties, in your trials, guess what? You're going to be glad because you know the Lord can handle it and you can't. Jesus tells us so many reasons through the scriptures, so many reasons why we ought to be of good cheer, as the scriptures say. The word says, be of good cheer. Why should we be of good cheer? One, can I tell you, we ought to be of good cheer because we have forgiveness for the past. I don't know about your past, but I know about Bill Barlow's past. Bill Barlow's past ain't pretty. Bill Barlow's past is pretty ugly. Bill Barlow's past is pretty sinful. But praise God, I can be of good cheer. Why? Because I have forgiveness for my past. For the word says in Matthew 9, 2, Jesus seeing their faith, he said to the paralytic, he said, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven. We have forgiveness for the past. Another reason that you ought to be of good cheer, that you ought to be glad, that you ought to be joyful, and that is that we have companionship for the present. You ain't in this alone. You're not in this all by yourself. As a child of God, you've got the Father of all kingdom come with you. You've got companionship for your present. In Matthew 14, 27, as Jesus went out to his disciples, he was walking on the water of all things. They thought he was a ghost, but immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Even in the storms, he's there. Don't be afraid. Rather, Jesus said, be of good cheer. So let us have, know that we can be of good cheer because of the forgiveness of our past. We can be of good cheer because we have companionship. The companionship of God for our present. But thirdly, we also have victory for our future. This is familiar scripture to you. John 16, 33. Jesus said, in this world you're going to have storms. In this world you're going to have tornadoes. In this world, you're going to have F5s. You're going to have floods. In this world, you're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. In this world, you're going to have sorrows. But be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Jesus says, you have reason to be of good cheer. You have reason to know that you have victory for your future. Friends, for believers and for followers of Jesus Christ, the sin of the past is blotted out. The continual fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ is offered for your present. And finally, the future will reveal your Lord Jesus Christ as conqueror of the world. There will be no more storms. There will be no more tornadoes. There will be no more tribulations. And this joy is possible. It's possible for you today. It's possible for you. Why? Because Jesus is in the midst. Because Jesus is in the midst of the believer's life. When Jesus is in the midst, you have reason to be peaceful. When Jesus is in the midst, you have reason to be joyful. But not only Jesus in our midst makes us peaceful and joyful, but he also makes us useful. Look at verse 21. 
And so Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. As the Father sent me, Jesus said, I now also send you. Now friends, as Christian servants, as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ and followers of Him, there are at least four things we ought to be. Four things we ought to be. Friends, we ought to be a mouth that speaks for Jesus. We ought to be feet that run errands for Jesus. We ought to be hands that do the work of Jesus. And friends, you ought to have a heart that loves like Jesus. Those four things you ought to be. Now I want to go through these real quick. Just keep them up on the board, Brother Howe. Because I want to be more specific about these. In other words, we need mouths. Everybody got a mouth? Say amen. Amen. Boy, some of y'all got a bigger mouth than others. Amen. (laughs) Brother Bill, right? But we need mouths. We need mouths that will invite other people to church. We need mouths that will tell others the good things God is doing here. God needs your mouth. We need mouths to open up and sing praises to the Lord in worship and outside of this building in your daily life. We need mouths that will speak the truth in love, encounter sin, and call sin for what it is. Not hating the sinner, but hating the sin. We need mouths that will speak the truth in love about that. We need mouths that will say, I'm sorry. Amen. We need mouths that will offer forgiveness. We need mouths that will encourage a fallen brother. We need mouths that will tell children about Jesus Christ. We need mouths that will disciple and teach and help other people learn about how to live a life that honors God. We need mouths. Most of all, we all need mouths that will say yes when God calls you to do something here. He needs your mouth to say yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'm available. He needs your mouth to do that. When Jesus said, I also send you, verse 21, I also send you, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I gave you a mouth and I want you to use it. How many of you like to use your mouth? Come on. How many of you like to use your mouth? We all do. Whether you're feeding your face or whether you're yakking your mouth, right? We all need it. We all like to use our mouth. We need our mouths. Jesus needs our mouths. But you know what? He also needs our feet. Jesus needs our feet to bring us to church faithfully. He needs us to our feet to bring us to Sunday school. He needs our feet to bring us on Sunday night so that you can be encouraged and blessed. He needs your feet even in the midst of the week. Amen. Even in the midst of the week on a Wanna Wednesday. He needs your feet to bring you here. He needs your feet. He needs your feet that will answer the call to serve God wherever He calls you to do it. He needs your feet that will jump at the opportunity to be a messenger of that life-saving message that Jesus Christ offers. He needs your feet to share with those who are in dire need. There are those in dire need of Jesus out there. If they die today, they're hell-bound. If they die today, they'll not be with God. They'll not be in heaven. God needs your feet to take that message to those who are in dire need. God needs our mouths. God needs our feet. But you know what? God also needs our hands. He needs our hands to work on this place. 
He needs our hands to work on this property, to cook, to clean, to keep the pantry, to fix things that get broke. He needs our hands to shake others' hands when we greet. Make sure you use your hands for the glory of God. Use them to shake hands with everybody you see. You ought to shake hands with every single person in the building. Everybody. Everybody, use your hand for the glory of God. We need hands that will hold the hands of little ones. Oh, wow. Just to hold their hand. That's glorifying God. Hold their hand because God has entrusted us with them. And we ought to be holding their hand and helping them out. We need hands that will point others to Jesus. Is your life pointing somebody else to Jesus? Is your hands pointing someone else to Jesus? Can I ask you a question? If I said to this glove, glove, I want you, I don't know if he's going to stand up or not. He's not going to stand up. If I said to this glove, glove, pick up that Bible. Glove, pick up that Bible. Now, as I look at you, Mr. Glove, I see that you look like a hand. I see that you have a thumb, and I see that you have four fingers. You look like a hand, so pick up that Bible, I say. It's a very simple task. Just do what I say. You've got, you look like a hand, so pick up that Bible. Will he ever be able to pick up that Bible? Anybody? No. Why? I know. Maybe it's because I haven't shown it how to pick up a Bible. Duh, right? Well, here's how you do it. You take your thumb and you put it underneath the Bible and you take your fingers and you put it on top of the Bible. Then you simply lift. So, glove, I want you to lift that Bible. Will that glove ever be able to lift that Bible? No, it will not. Why? That glove ain't got no power. That glove is powerless. That glove is empty of life. I could say all day long, glove, pick up that Bible. And it ain't happening. You see, that glove can't pick up that Bible until I put my hand in that glove. When I put my hand in that glove... It can pick up that Bible because the moment that I put my hand in this glove, that glove becomes just as strong as my hand is. Now, I don't know how many Bibles my one hand can pick up, but I bet you it's a bunch. The glove now has power. Everything that's possible for my hand now comes possible for my glove. Amen? If the glove could talk, and he can't, But if the glove could talk, you know what this glove would say? The glove would say, I can do all things through the hand that strengthens me. Does that sound familiar? I can do all things through the hand that strengthens me. Friend, can I tell you that we are the gloves and Christ Jesus is the hand. We are the glove and Christ Jesus is the hand. But friends, there's one difference. When the Lord Jesus Christ found me and you as gloves, we were filthy dirty. We were filthy dirty on the outside and we were filthy dirty on the inside. And Jesus died to cleanse us. He died to give us this power.
He said, I was sent and now I'm sending you. I was sent and now I'm sending you. You see, Jesus was doing a great job of recruiting for all ages to come. He was recruiting for all ages to come. Now, the prophet Isaiah said this, and this is Brother Bob's favorite scripture, I believe. But Isaiah said it this way. He said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Then I said, What, Brother Bob? Here I am, send me. Now, see, that's the ideal. That's the way God's work ought to work. That's the way people ought to respond to God's work. Because Isaiah was volunteering. That's what God wants you to do. God wants you to volunteer, but many won't volunteer. And so Jesus recruits. And he says, as I am sent, now I send you. You see, so many Christians say, Brother Bill, I go to church. A few more say, Brother Bill, not only do I go to church, but I tithe. Here am I, you're going to have to send somebody else. Only you can answer that question. And I pray that as you look in the mirror today, you'll find out, are you being recruited or are you volunteering? God says, Jesus said, as I was sent, now I send you. So what are you going to do about it? You know, God said to the prophet Ezekiel, he said, I sought for a man. This is God speaking, okay? I sought for a man. I sought for a man that would build up a wall of righteousness. I sought for a man who would stand in the gap for me. I sought for a man who would stand in the gap on behalf of all my people, on behalf of all my creation, so that I wouldn't destroy them. Do you know that people who die without Jesus are basically destroyed? They go to a place called hell. They'll be of no eternal value. In essence, they're destroyed. But Ezekiel said, I sought for, or God said to Ezekiel, I sought for a man among them who would build up a wall of righteousness, who would stand in the gap for my creation, for my people that I made, so that I wouldn't destroy them. But I found no one. I pray your middle name today is not no one. I pray that you'll volunteer. Why don't people allow themselves to be sent? Jesus said it, Bill didn't. So why won't people allow themselves to be sent by the command of the Lord Jesus who shed his blood and died on the cross for us? Why won't people allow themselves to be sent? Could it be that Jesus is not in the midst? Could it be that Jesus is not in the midst of their hearts? Could it be that Jesus is not the center of their lives? Could it be he's not in the, the very middle of their thoughts? Could it be he's not the center? Maybe so. Well, in addition to being peaceful, in addition to being joyful, Jesus in our midst makes us useful, but Jesus in our midst also makes us powerful. Read in verse 22 with me. And when he, Jesus, said this, he breathed on them. He, the God, okay, God the Son breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive God the Holy Spirit. Now, as I read that, 
There's no doubt in my mind that as John was writing that, he was thinking of the story of creation. Where in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God formed the earth from the dust of the ground and He breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life. And man became a living soul. God breathed on him. God breathed this world into existence. Did you know that? That God breathed this world into existence. Psalm 33 verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. You see, when God breathes, something's going to happen. When God breathes, something's going to happen. When God breathes, God's power is going to be revealed. And in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, the prophet tells about the old dry bones of an old battlefield that come together as skeletons and then as organs and tissues and skin and they just laid there until about verse 9. Let me share with you the story. Now I'm sharing this out of the New Living Translation. It's easier to understand that way. Hear what God did when he breathed. And the Lord took hold of me, Ezekiel said, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. And those bones covered the valley floor, and they were scattered everywhere across the ground, and they were completely dried out. And then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. And he said to me, speak a message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of God. And this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you alive again. I will put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life and you will know that I am the Lord. And so I spoke this message just as he told me. And suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise across the valley. And the bones of each one of these bodies came together and attached themselves as a complete skeleton. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones and the skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. But he said to me, speak a message to the winds, son of man. Speak a message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. And so I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. Then all came to life, and they stood upon their feet, a whole army of people. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent my people. Did you hear that? These old, dead, dry bones represent my people. And they are saying, We become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. But this is what the Lord, Sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I will open the graves of the exiles and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back into the land. And when this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I am the Lord. And I will put my spirit in you. And you will live again. And you will return to me. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. And I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord spoken. My, my. Have you ever considered yourself just old dry bones? In dire need of returning to the Lord? 
a dire need of having his spirit rejuvenate your soul. You know, we can laugh and we can smile about it all day long. But it's awful sad when God's own people lose the very spirit that drives them. And they're, ain't, they're of no value, not even like a dry bones, a skeleton of dry bones. You see, friend, the Bible was written by inspiration of God. And that word inspiration, it actually means God breathed. That God breathed into these human writers. The human writers were just instruments. And each one of those human instruments sounded differently as God's breath blew through them. But they didn't have any power of themselves. The power came from the breath of God. The breath of God. It was the breath-like wind of the Holy Spirit that got the disciples up off their backsides and got them into action. It was the breath of the Holy Spirit that got them out of that upper room and out into Jerusalem. It was the breath of God that saved 3,000 people that day of Pentecost. And it's the same powerful breath of God that will cause you and cause me to be the instruments of his grace, and cause you and cause me to help others to know him, even in the midst of our storms. But friends, you've got to know something. If you're listening, say amen. Before you receive this power, there's something you've got to do. Before you can receive this power, you've got to die. You've got to die. You've got to die to self. You don't have to be gifted. You don't have to be talented. You don't have to be capable. You just got to be dead. Dead to yourself and available to however God wants to use you. Dead to self and available. I'm so thankful that the Lord God Almighty doesn't send us to do something we can't do. He gives us a, a job that we can do. Why? Because there's absolutely nothing. Say nothing. Say nothing again. There is nothing that God can't do through you. Nothing. We, say we. We just got to get out of the way and let God do it. Die to self and become available. There's nothing I can't do without Jesus Christ in the midst. There is absolutely nowhere I won't go without Jesus Christ in the midst. There is no limit to what God can do in this church as long as Jesus is in the midst. There's no peace I can't find. As long as Jesus in the midst makes me peaceful. No joy will elude me because Jesus in the midst makes me joyful. There's no job in the church that should ever go undone because Jesus in our midst makes us useful. But also you need to know this. Absolutely nothing will be accomplished without the power of our risen Christ and Lord Jesus because he's the one that makes us powerful. He's got to be in our midst. So friend, as I close this morning, what's God's promise to you today? What's God's promise to you through this message? Peace. Joy, purpose, and power. Say them with me. Peace, joy, purpose, and power.
That's God's promise for you today. As long as you're willing to die to self and be available. It's up to you. So do you need a little peace in your life? Say amen. I know you do. Is your life lacking a little bit of joy lately? Say amen. Do you feel like sometimes you're just a ship without a sail? You ain't got no purpose? Say amen. Are you feeling helpless, hopeless, and powerless? Sometimes we do. Say amen. If you're ready to die to self, if you're ready to live with Jesus Christ, can I tell you that he's ready to be in your midst? So what do you say? Is today your day? You ready for Jesus to be in the midst? In the midst of your marriage? In the midst of your home? In the midst of your relationships? In the midst of your workplace? In the midst of our church? In the midst of this community? In the midst of the storms? You ready for Jesus to be in the midst? If you've never died to yourself and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, today is your day. And I pray that during this song as we sing, that you'll just step out and step forward. Allow me to show you what the Word of God says about how Jesus can be in your midst. And you can have this peace, have this joy, have this purpose, and have this power that we've been talking about today. Say, I've been a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, Bill. But you know what? I lack peace. I lack joy. I lack purpose and I lack power. How about today for a day of recommitment? The day after Resurrection Sunday where Jesus kicked him out of the upper room and said, Go! As I was sent, I now send you. Maybe today's your day for recommitment. Maybe you're looking for a church home. Somebody that will show you and teach you how to have this peace and joy and purpose and power. We'd love to. We don't have all the answers, but we know the one who does. So we pray that you just allow us to, to be your family, to be your brothers and sisters in Christ, to encourage you and lift you up when you're down, when you're helpless and hopeless and powerless. Let us not be a church like a bunch of empty gloves. Let us be a church filled with power. Let's pray.